0: So, Will. Yes? In the course of this film, there was a joke that I have heard many times that I had no idea came from this film.
1: Is it the joke that taught
0: me the word bigamy when I was a kid? (laughs) It is not. But I was wondering, are there any other movie lines you had heard and then were surprised when you were watching the Source film?
1: I mean, many. The one that jumps into my head is I didn't see Casablanca until I was in grad school, and I saw a screening of it at like a historic movie palace, which was awesome. But as the movie was just kind of rolling on, I was like, oh, in a way, I've seen every scene and heard every line of this movie just like riffed in different cartoons over the two decades I've been alive.
0: It is one of those movies that you see parodied in Looney Tunes without realizing they're making fun of a specific
1: person or movie. Right. Or just like, you're on like the great movie ride in Disney World or like something equivalent and you're just like, hear a bunch of lines and you're like, of oh, all that gin joints in all the towns. And you're like, all right, well, that that's a nice line. And then you've also got, you know, we'll always have Paris and like one after another after another. And you're like, oh, these are all the same movie. Yes. It is crazy how many lines from that movie have become
0: famous. Play it again. We'll always have Paris. Go on Here's the plane. Here's looking at you, kid. That's not actually a line, but that scene. Imagine if he just said, go
1: on the plane. <laughs> the plane scene always makes me think of the SNL sketch where Kate McKinnon is like, oh no, actually, I, I think I will get on the plane. They're going to kill me? <laughs> Last night, you
2: asked me to do the thinking for the both of us, and since then, I've done a lot of it. You're getting on that plane with Victor where you belong. Oh, I know. Thank you. If you let me go, I'll do it. I'll get right on it. (laughs) Listen to me now. If that plane leaves and you're not on it, you'll live to regret it. Mm, Yes. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Wow. Well, you've given me a lot to think about when I'm on that plane.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she should definitely get on the plane. The other one that really sticks out to me is, of course, we were growing up in the 1990s, which was, like, peak A Few Good Men, where, like, that was all over the culture, and I definitely heard You Can't Handle the Truth approximately one billion times before I saw A Few Good Men.
0: That is very true, and I still have not seen it, but I saw that scene on TV one time. And then I said, oh, hey, this is the scene where that line comes from. And my dad said, you are too young to be watching this movie. Please leave the room. It's Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson doing Sorkin dialogue. It's great. Yeah, I would probably enjoy it now. But I think my dad was right that it was not even that it was inappropriate for kids, but much more along the lines of you will find this very boring (laughs) as an eight year old. Yes, very
1: much so. You happened to wander in on the most exciting scene.
0: Yeah, I think the rest of it would have dragged in the
1: mind of a child. What about you? Um, You mentioned that there was something in this movie. Are there any others? I mean, I
0: was surprised to learn that May the Force Be With You came from Star Wars and not Mass. Really? (laughs) Catholic Mass. (laughs) When I first went to Catholic Mass as a kid, I was a little surprised by that. It was more honestly, I was surprised about how Star Wars adapted that into a line because yep. I assume that he has been to a mass and heard, may the Lord or spirit or whatever be with Lord. you.
1: Lord. Lord." And now, sorry, I have not been in a while. You do not have to apologize to me for not knowing the words of the mass.
0: I will say, I went with my grandparents after they changed it and had a whole John Mulaney moment when they said, and with your spirit, and
1: I said, and also with you. For a while there, they were handing out like cards in basically every church. Like, trust us, you're gonna want this. <laughs> we changed the dots. Di- the
0: goldenrod pages, day of, line changes to the script. So were there any others uh, from movies? I think the most famous example that I have come across is a very good introduction to this movie because it sums it up very well. And the line is, when he is describing his adventures in Africa, you know, the whole one place Africa. Right. He says
2: One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas How he got in my pajamas, I don't know Then we tried to remove the tusks But they were embedded in so firmly that we couldn't budge them Of course in Alabama, the Tuscaloosa But uh, that's entirely irrelevant to what I was talking about
0: One time I shot an elephant in my pajamas How he got in my pajamas, I'll never know Is a line I've heard many times And thought it was just like a Winston Churchill quip The one-liner that had no context, and then I saw the context and was very surprised.
1: Oh, that line is
0: number 53 on the AFI's list of the best movie quotes. It's a good line. It is very funny. I laughed because it was the first time I had seen it delivered. Yeah, it's
1: just a perfect example of Groucho Marx's wordplay where he always subverts it in a way that is delightful and also feels a little obvious. Like, you're like, oh, of course that's what he was building up to. There are times where...
0: It is very sweaty in this movie and relies on some very blatant mispronunciations or just being a different word.
1: Hey, now, that scene with Harpo and Chico, where Harpo keeps pulling out different stuff instead that of a flashlight, is was great.
0: Very funny. Because I also did not know what he meant by a flash. So oh, okay. I was also building up. I was like, the suspense of what he is actually asking for specifically. And then he finally pulls out a flashlight, and I go, ah, of course, it was a flashlight. The point that I lost it in that scene
1: was when he pulled out a a hand of cards that was a flush.
0: That was my favorite. I thought he was also saying flesh for a while, so I was like, is he going to pull out meat? Like, what is he asking for? So that definitely added an element of confusion to the scene, which I enjoyed. I also enjoyed when Groucho Marx literally says, listen... Not all the jokes can be winners at the camera.
1: Yeah, which I think is reflective of the fact that like this is very clearly the next evolution of a vaudeville show.
0: Oh, this is just a vaudeville show, but with a longer plot.
1: Right, it has a little bit more narrative, and it's kind of hilarious to say that this movie has more narrative than anything, but it has a little bit more narrative than a vaudeville show, but really, it is just, you know, one or two or three performers will come out and do a sketch and just see what happens.
0: Uh, the plot is a loose term.
1: It is still mostly just vaudeville sketches. Yeah, it feels like a sketch comedy movie like we talked about with Coming to America. Right, like, it's just scenes that kind of cohere sometimes. Yeah, I would argue the first half of the movie is much stronger than the second half, because in the second half, they're like, well, I guess we need to resolve these plot threads.
0: Right, I did not care about the painting at all. I just wanted more... Fake bridge scenes where they're blatantly (laughs) cheating, which I feel like would be even funnier if I understood how bridge was played.
1: Yes, I think so. It is nonetheless funny.
0: One time my grandma tried to teach me and it was very long and kind of boring at the time. I believe it. It's one of those games that it's hard to play the first time, and so it just takes so long to break into it. Once you know and you're a master, it's very fun, from what I've heard. But when you're don't, when you first learning, it's very
1: slow. My only real exposure to Bridge growing up, besides this movie, was occasionally in, like, late-era Peanuts strips. Snoopy would be playing Bridge with the birds, and I think some of the joke depended on, like, it would have the little, like... You know, when you're looking at like a bridge score and it has like all the different numbers and stuff around, they would like have that over the characters. And I'd be like, I don't know what's going on here, Charles Schultz. You are no longer making accessible cartoons.
0: My main exposure was the
1: Arnezes and I don't
0: remember their last name. Lucy, Desi, Fred, and Ethel play bridge a lot in I Love Lucy as kind of just, they'll cut to a bridge night as an excuse to have all four characters together. I mean, that works. So, that was my main understanding of what Bridge was, and this movie did not help clear up the answer of how is Bridge played. Did I ever tell you about the board game I played with my sister that was so complicated we had to watch a YouTube video explaining the rules instead of just reading the instruction booklet? What game? It's called Scythe, and it's very fun, and I wanted to buy it, and then it was $70. And I said,
1: nah. Yeah, that sounds like the cost of a game, unfortunately.
0: I know. I don't know when board games became as expensive as video games. But also, most of my board games were purchased in 1997, and I've inherited them from my parents.
1: A lot of your board games were developed in, like, 1947. Correct. (laughs) Should we talk about this movie?
0: Okay, yeah, we've talked a lot about this movie. I just really wanted to bring up the fact that my sister made us watch a YouTube video of
1: Scythe instead of just teaching us. That's totally fine. The weirdest game I played growing up was a game that someone gave to Fiona called Save the Whales. It was built kind of like Monopoly, but it was a collaborative game developed by, I think, Greenpeace, and the goal was to save the whales. That is incredibly
0: 90s. It was not short. All right. Anyway, welcome to
1: We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, as we've repeatedly alluded to, we are taking a look at the second film anchored around the Marx Brothers, 1930s Animal Crackers.
0: When I first read the script and saw that line, I thought you meant the second movie we had covered starring the Marx Brothers. And I got very confused because I was about to say, I've never seen a Marx Brothers movie. And then I thought I had forgotten, not just that we covered a Marx Brothers movie, but had blanked out the entire film in my memory. Yeah, so you had never seen any Marx Brothers before this? No, this is my first time. And a lot of that comes from the difficulty of accessing them. They are not the most readily available
1: movies. I don't even think they're on canopy. Um, I grew up, we had Animal Crackers on VHS when I was growing up. So I saw this one a bunch, but I would have seen the 1936 edit of it, which is mostly the same, but a couple of dirtier jokes are cut.
0: Did we watch
1: the original cut? We watched the original, which was restored in 2016. Okay. Will owns a collection of the Marx Brothers movies. Yeah, it's just the five that were produced by Paramount and are now owned by Universal because in the 1950s, Paramount sold off a bunch of its library to Universal because the story of Paramount is the same across its hundred years of existence. It's a shock that Paramount is
0: still one of the major studios. After MGM was recently purchased by
1: Amazon, I don't really get how Paramount is still around. Well, Paramount has, I think, just four movies left on the schedule this year. Um, Mark, do you have any idea what Paramount's remaining movies are now that they have pulled Clifford the Big Red Dog from the schedule? I have no idea. So, uh, Paramount's remaining movies are one that we were talking about the other night, Jackass Forever. Okay. I am a little excited. All right, I'm guessing another thing that you are hyped for is Paw Patrol the movie. (sighs) Okay. And then the one that they're really hoping is a hit, Top Gun Maverick. That movie might make or break the studio Paramount. (laughs) Right, it's kind of wild that we've come to this. Are the original
0: people in Top Gun Maverick? I have not seen a trailer or Top Gun. (laughs) Tom Cruise is definitely in it. It's like Tom Cruise has to whip Miles Teller into shape, is this movie. Oh, I guess it's maybe he has to relearn his
1: Maverick ways. I mean, the trailer frames him as very much still Maverick. Oh, okay.
0: I think it would be more interesting if he had kind of been broken and become a rigid stick-to-the-line pilot, and then the young upstart has to teach him to be a Maverick again.
1: You want Top Gun colon The Last Jedi. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, nah, mm,
1: kinda. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We should maybe do Top Gun on this show. I think that you would have interesting things to say about it, and also the romance is appropriately 80s in, like, a Terminator kind of way.
0: Isn't it the, isn't it a silhouette sex scene movie? Yeah, like, in Terminator. But I assume we'd mostly be talking about the volleyball scene. Yeah, obviously. That is literally all I know about Top Gun. There are planes that shoot bullets, I think, and then there is also... A beach volleyball scene that is notoriously homoerotic
1: and people were a little confused even in the 80s why it existed. The thing no one has been able to explain to me about Top Gun is who the enemy is. There is a late movie conflict with an unspecified country and I cannot figure out who it's supposed to be. It's
0: pre-Gulf War, isn't it? Yes. What, wo- what wars are happening? I
1: mean like the Cold War, but that's it. They make the Cold War hot. I don't know what that's a line from. We'll have to just watch some movies and be surprised eventually.
0: It's from a... I don't even think it's from a movie. I think it's from a musical. Uh, uh. It is not a thing I am easily finding on Google.
1: Song lyric?
0: Nope. Okay. I swear
1: this is a real line. I mean, it, it sounds good nonetheless. You should copyright it.
0: I don't really want to try and copyright something that exists.
1: If you know the origin of the line, Mark is saying, tweet at us with the hashtag hotter than cold. Again, that's hashtag than cold, to let us know the origin of the line. Make the Cold War hot. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we were talking about the Marx Brothers. So I grew up with animal crackers on VHS. One of my neighbors up the street had a couple of them. I know I saw a night at the opera several times.
0: That's their most famous, I would say,
1: right? That one in duck soup. Yes. I think duck soup is probably the best one. But it's kind of wild to look at the actual run and see that there are ultimately 15 Marx Brothers movies. The last three of them come after a gap and are not as well regarded. But there is a run of 12 movies almost every year between 1929 and 1941. That's insane. And they're all pretty similar, except for Duck Soup, which has more of a plot. But really, they all are like, okay, so we're going to take a bunch of stock characters who are basically the same. We're going to put them in this environment and just, like, let them run around and tell jokes and see what happens.
0: I mean, it's basically Commedia dell'arte when on Vaudeville.
1: Everyone's, everyone's playing basically the same characters.
0: There are the types, and these types were created by the Marx Brothers, but they have honestly continued to live on. I also like that this movie is called Animal Crackers because it's basically just saying there might be some jokes
1: about animals in it. Right, yeah, the the title doesn't tell you a lot about it. I think it's nice that we're watching this movie not too long after we talked about Yankee Doodle Dandy because we had a lot of fun talking about the nonsense titles of George M. Cohen's plays, and I think Animal Crackers coming from the period depicted in that movie is a nice reflection of that.
0: Did the scriptwriters not title their own plays? and scripts, because honestly, they just don't match up. It's almost like they have a printer that prints out the script and a title at the same time from two different computers, and then you just mash them together.
1: I mean, I assume the writers, who in this case are George Kaufman and Maury Riskind and uh, Burt Kalmar and Harry Ruby, I assume like they put some kind of name on it, but it's also easy to imagine Much like happens with the film industry, producers then say, all right, but like, what's the title that's going to sell this movie? We talked about this way back at the beginning of the show with Can't Buy Me Love, where it had some other title, but they were like, we have the rights to this song, so we might as well name the movie that.
0: I thought when you first said Animal Crackers, it was the Shirley Temple movie where she sings about Animal Crackers, and then
1: I was a little confused. No, that would be too obvious. I don't know what that movie is called. You know, it could be that this thing was named by the producer of the Broadway musical that it's adapted from, who was, speaking of Yankee Doodle Dandy, our guy Sam Harris. Really?
0: Yeah. That's cool. Was the Broadway musical musical There's not that
1: many songs in this. Yes, there were more songs in the stage show. They actually filmed a lot of them, but then uh, the director, Victor Heerman, cut most of them to keep the focus on the comedy.
0: This movie almost doesn't need to be a musical. The songs didn't really add as much to this because I mostly just wanted to watch Harpo
1: Marx pull ridiculous things out of a jacket. Yeah, I think that uh, really the only musical sequence that sticks in my head is the hooray for Captain Spaulding, hello, I must be going opener, which works because that is itself a vehicle for Groucho-style wordplay. Because he's not singing that
0: much either he is mostly just doing groucho style wordplay right one of my favorite moments of this movie is really just when harpo pulls out the fish and then puts it on the pillow and is like
1: sleep now sleep (laughs) now baby yeah yeah so the marx brothers themselves are this family of vaudeville performers there are five marx brothers who performed with them for the most part there's a sixth who never gets involved i thought it was four with a fifth it's, it's four with a fifth who did do some performing early on, and there's a sixth who never did performing. So
0: it's Harpo, Groucho, and Chico Chico, Chico are the main three. Yes. And then you have Zippo. Yes. Zeppo. Zeppo. Who does the early movies and then leaves to do something else. Who right. Who also
1: There's also Gummo. Gum- I've, who is Gummo? Gummo was with the Marx Brothers but then he got drafted into World War I, and then after the war, he's like, I refuse to go back to being an actor.
0: Uh, from my understanding, World War I changed a lot of people's perception of life and
1: the point of it. Speaking of that period, actually, Margaret Dumont, who plays Mrs. Rittenhouse, and is in seven of the Marx Brothers movies. She's in the majority of them. She always plays basically the same role. She was a trained opera singer who retired in 1910 after marrying a sugar magnate, But then he died in the 1918 flu pandemic, and so she then returned to the stage. And Sam Harris discovered her and recommended her for The Coconuts, which was the first Marx Brothers musical.
0: I mean, she's the perfect foil to the Marx Brothers.
1: Yeah, she's so good. There's, like, a weird thing of, like, when you read, like, people writing about Marx Brothers movies, there is, like, a weird school of people who are, like, the key with Margaret Dumont is that, like, she really didn't understand the jokes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, in the scenes where they're clearly ad-libbing, you can see her laughing. I don't understand what that means (laughs) at all. Right. You need her to be acting as the straight man so that Groucho and the others can just bounce jokes off her for the whole movie.
0: Right. And you need her to pretend to not understand the jokes. So clearly she has just fooled even the critics as well as the,
1: you know, general audience. So now having seen a Marx Brothers movie, Mark, like, are you interested in watching more of them? Is this a thing you enjoyed watching? Like I said, I grew up especially on Animal Crackers, and so there were some moments watching this where I was laughing a lot, but I was also like, oh yeah, it's the bigamy joke.
0: I enjoyed much of this movie, and I do want to see more, but it's definitely, honestly, it's an art form like SNL where you have to accept the inevitable clunkers.
1: It's coming so quickly.
0: Everything's happening so quickly, but they're also kind of independent sketches. So if you don't like the joke of that one moment, the whole scene is kind of going to drag.
1: And also like watching old SNL, which I've been doing in the past year since Peacock came out. You also have to accept like there are some cultural references that are going to go past you.
0: Right. I mean, there's probably a lot of pop culture jokes that I just didn't get.
1: There definitely are. That's it. The pop culture joke that I loved was the Eugene O'Neill bit, where Groucho kept stepping forward to give these soliloquies.
0: I have not actually seen a Eugene O'Neill play, so I did not really, I didn't place that, but I did enjoy it. I, it's just this movie. I loved it, but there were moments where I was also just very confused about what was happening. (laughs) I
1: think it is a movie that is. Utterly disinterested in plot for its first half. It likes its characters a lot. It has no interest in plot. And then the second day of the movie, after like the night where the paintings are discovered to be missing, they're just like, I I don't know, man. I
0: couldn't even tell if they ever confirmed if he had actually been to Africa or not. Because it sounds like he hasn't. Oh, you're talking about like
1: when he tries to get somebody to finance his retirement?
0: Right. And also when he's telling his stories about moose and elk, the Elks Club one I did really enjoy. Yeah, the Elks descend from the mountains for their annual convention, something along those lines.
2: The Elks, on the other hand, live up in the hills, and in the spring they come down for their annual convention. It is very interesting to watch them come to the waterhole, and you should see them run when they find it is only a waterhole. What they're looking for is an alcohol.
0: I might, since I have your DVD collection, I might, if I have time, try and watch Duck Soup in particular. Duck Soup is the bomb. Because it was very- I did laugh out loud
1: multiple times. I'm I'm so glad. It, this is the kind of thing, like I said, that I grew up loving, and I was hoping that you would enjoy it as well. Obviously, there are some jokes that I did not
0: care for, such as Harpo repeatedly attempting to sexually harass a woman. I would say successfully sexually
1: harassing successfully a woman. Successfully by the end, yes. I'd say he's sexually harassing her throughout what we avoid is an actual assault. Yeah, that is true. He mostly just chases her.
0: And then seems to chloroform himself at the end on top of her. Yep. A surprising amount of chloroform in this movie. It did make me think of the community scene.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They're like, we were all chloroformed. (laughs) Oh, no. The Harpo chasing a woman around thing goes back to when the Marx Brothers were performing on Vaudeville proper, and they would just try to screw with each other. They were performing one time, and Groucho was doing a monologue, and Harpo arranged it with one of the chorus girls, like, all right, we're going to do this, and, like, went back and forth across the stage for a couple times to see if they could mess up Groucho. I will say one thing that surprised me is Zippo is
0: kind of attractive. Yeah, he's a high... Definitely the standout in terms of looks.
1: And I'd be curious to see what the others look like outside of their Marx Brothers getup. They look pretty similar. Zeppo even, like, stood in for Groucho sometimes in the stage shows when Groucho wasn't available.
0: Because, I mean, if you just take away his Groucho look, I'm sure he is much less weird looking.
1: It's a particular appearance.
0: I don't even know how the mustache would theoretically grow that way.
1: I mean, yeah. It wouldn't. That's just grease paint.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The eyebrows, I know they're fake too, but they are possible. The mustache, on the other hand, I was just looking at it a lot because I was trying to tell if it was painted on or if it was glued on hair.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had never seen the Marx Brothers in HD before, so I had never really had the opportunity to consider it like I did the other day.
0: The crazy thing is, this is closer to what it looks like on a film screen in black and white. The grainy black and white low resolution that you see on TV and in the original showings today, I have learned watching black and white movies at the movie theater is not actually what people at the time were seeing on screen.
1: Right. It's because we've been watching low quality transfers, especially on VHS during the period when we were growing up.
0: Right. But now, like even seeing the extraordinary adventures of Mr. West and the land of the Bolsheviks, which is a our favorite Soviet silent film. Our favorite Soviet silent film, the quality was actually
1: Good in the theater. Yeah. And that's an exciting thing, like, whenever you discover it. Um, Animal Crackers actually particularly faced issues with this because Paramount let, I don't understand how this works, but they, Paramount, while owning the movie, let the license on the, like, all the music expire. And so somehow, in the way those contracts were written, a chunk of the movie's rights reverted to the authors of the stage play. Then Universal bought Paramount's. Pre 1950 sound films, but wouldn't do anything with Animal Crackers because the rights were such a mess. Then in 1973, UCLA hosted a screening of the only version of Animal Crackers that was available. And this student, Steve Soliar, went to the screening and was upset about how crappy the print was. So then he formed a semi serious activist group called Committee for the Re Release of Animal Crackers. And they were like, we're going to host an event. They got Groucho to come to UCLA for the event. Having Groucho there got them a lot of press and spurred Universal to make a deal that made Animal Crackers available in better quality again, which is how we got the version that I grew up with. And then in 2016, they remastered it again for the Blu-ray.
0: So the original cut, the pre-code cut, wasn't really lost or anything? Or was it a situation where they discovered it in some old library like they do with some old movies?
1: No, I think they... My understanding is that they had it, they just thought it was too much of a hassle to put out.
0: Okay. It is always fun hearing the story of a newly discovered movie where in some non-American country, a lost print exists in the library that is discovered.
1: I mean, we talked about that with Within Our Gates, where they found it in Spain, and so then they had to re-translate the intertitles.
0: Right, and I think Metropolis... Uh, longer Metropolis cut, is a mess. Yeah, and I think the cut we saw... In the theaters, that longer cut was found in some Buenos Aires University library or something.
1: Yeah. Every once in a while, a theater company will put on a Marx Brothers show, which is always strange. Because to do it, you have to have people playing the Marx Brothers characters. So, like, you have someone who is... Like, if you put on Animal Crackers, you have someone who is, like, cast as Henry Spaulding, but is really cast as Groucho Marx.
0: Right. You can't do it with an actual Henry Spaulding character.
1: Right. Though no, it does happen every once in a while. Actually... Before I was doing theater in high school, my high school put on a production of The Coconuts, which was strange in just that way. I was like, I know that guy, but he's playing Harpo for some reason.
0: Especially Harpo is weird, though, because the character, if it's not Harpo, should talk. There's no reason for the character to be
1: silent unless it is... Played by Harpo Marx. The most notable revival of Animal Crackers was in 1993 at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. And it's notable because Kristen Chenoweth played Arabella in her first professional role.
0: I love her so much. And her performance in Schmigadoon is killing me.
1: Schmigadoon, which will be done by the time this episode is out, unfortunately, is the bomb. I love it.
0: And it's the first time I really thought about the fact that all these musicals in the 40s are set during the childhoods of the people writing them, which is why they're all nostalgic
1: for, like, the 1900s. The, the decade of the 1900s. Right. Not the century. I mean, I always think about that anecdote from West Side Story that we talked about on our episode about that, where Sondheim talks about going back and forth to Leonard Bernstein in the writing of Tonight. And Sondheim's like... Why would they sing about tonight there will be no morning star? They live in Manhattan. There's never a morning star.
0: Yeah, a lot of times things are just written to sound good with no basis in reality.
1: Yeah, it works.
0: And it works. Honestly, just go for it. We'll understand what you mean.
1: And if anyone listening has not watched Schmigadoon on Apple TV, you gotta do it. It's fantastic.
0: It's so good. It's even better than I was expecting. My only complaint is that so far... At the time of recording, four episodes have been released, and there have been four episodes without Jane Krakowski. It's weird. A baffling choice. She should be in it from moment one.
1: Well, by the time this episode comes out, we will have presumably seen her. Yes. Unless it's just a con.
0: Well, I mean, I saw on Wikipedia what character she is parodying, and I cannot wait to see it happen. Oh, who is it? The Baroness from The Sound of Music. Oh, the best character in The Sound of Music? coming in to play some high-class socialite. Ah, can't wait. Cannot wait. It's also just weird because the idea of Schmigadoon, New Arrivals,
1: doesn't make sense. Yeah, that is a good point. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Alrighty, so there's not really much point talking about the plot of (laughs) Animal Crackers because the point of Animal Crackers is not to have plot, it's just to tell a lot of jokes. Just to give a brief summary,
0: there is a party for an African explorer with a nice painting being debuted, and two people decide to steal it and replace it with replications of various qualities,
1: and then right. they are all stolen. Two people who separately studied this painting... And like for a class had to make reproductions. One of them is, is Johnny, who's a failing painter. And they're like, well, swap yours in. And then when everyone's excited about the painting, you could be like, it's a fake. Look, I'm such a good painter. I tricked you. Buy paintings from me. And then there's also this woman who's like, well, I am I suck at painting. So we'll put it in there and it'll embarrass the woman who's making a deal about this painting. I never really understood why that woman hates Mrs. Rittenhouse
0: and yeah, wants did her to I.
1: fail. I mean, I think it's funny.
0: But it is funny. Yeah, it's never... Re- she just walks in from the beginning and is basically, I hate Mrs. Rittenhouse and I want her to suffer. With no real explanation as to why.
1: Yeah, so there's there's a lot of hijinks, a lot of good wordplay. And, and then eventually everything gets found out. And Harpo doses everybody with, I think, insecticide. So they all collapse.
0: I thought it was the chloroform again.
1: So it would make sense if it's the chloroform. The thing he is using, a flit gun, is designed to spray insecticide.
0: Right. But i the way I saw it is it was funny because he was adding chloroform instead of
1: insecticide. You're right. They do show him pouring the bottle in there.
0: So then he's spritzing everyone. But his plan is foiled by himself because everyone will wake up, including
1: him, at the same time. I was just thinking this right now. I'm like, oh yeah, it does fade to black with them all collapsed. So it doesn't resolve so much as it just stops. The amount of knives is perfect. <laughs> there are so Hysterical. many. Knives.
0: It's I love that it's also not all of the cutlery. It's just knives. Like Mrs. Rittenhouse owns that many knives.
1: There's this scene where Harpo has narrowly dodged being arrested. But the policeman is, like, giving him a dressing down and keeps, like, shaking his arm. And every time the one arm is shaken, knives just fall out of his other sleeve that he has stolen. And you know that, like, to do that, what they must have done is, like, that sleeve, like, has an opening in the back. And somebody's standing behind him just, like, dropping knives down his sleeve. And it's the funniest thing.
0: Yeah, there has to be a shoot or something to get that many knives to fall out.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: I would love to see the behind the scenes of how they got that many knives to fall out of the coat i would love to see the behind the scenes of how they got that many knives it's just a lot of knives (laughs) it's so many so many fancy table knives i'm realizing when you say knives independent people could be thinking like hunting knives or knives designed to hurt people but it's just silverware it's cutlery great moment so should we talk about romance sure so every week we break down the romantic plotline into five distinct points and sometimes five distinct couples which it seems a will has chosen this week. Yeah, cuz there aren't really five points of romance. No, this week. I can imagine why you chose this method. So There are maybe two and a half. Why don't you take us to point number 1?
1: So at the top of the movie, we learn that this fancy pants art collector or gallerist or whatever, Roscoe W. Chandler is in love with Mrs. Rittenhouse. Mrs.
2: Rittenhouse? You think that is something? It is nothing compared to what I would like to do for you. You are a very beautiful woman. No, no, Mr. Chandler. Well, maybe I'm wrong. What?
1: Who is hosting this big party in honor of Captain Spaulding. And as part of it, Chandler, who has just acquired this exciting, famous painting after the hunt, He's like, oh well, before I take it to my gallery, Mrs. Rittenhouse, you can display it here, and it'll make you look really good. And also maybe uh we should get married. And it's a big enough deal
0: of a painting that it is in the newspaper. Because the movie <laughs> establishes the plot mostly through opening shots of newspapers about the party. I ap- I
1: appreciate it. It's very clear. <laughs> it makes it very clear what's happening because the actual movie does not. So Chandler repeatedly says that he is in love with Mrs. Rittenhouse, is kind of building up to Saying that he wants to marry her, but unfortunately he is interrupted by the arrival of Captain Spalding, and also unfortunately for him, this never comes up again.
0: Yeah, it's a one scene deal. <laughs> like there, there are places where it would perhaps make sense to bring it up again, but they do not. Nope, because they're too distracted by two other
1: couples involving Spaulding.
0: Yeah, which we, um, will we get should get also to mention in
1: that Roscoe W. Chandler is really Ab the Fishman, who comes from Czechoslovakia and who is. A thief, maybe? I think he was a thief, but he's no longer.
0: Right. He's He's gone gone legit. Yeah. A.B. the fish.
1: (laughs) I I did appreciate that this movie called out the fact that Chico is obviously not Italian.
0: Right. I love a movie with a terrible Italian accent.
1: Stop. I love a movie with a terrible Italian accent. I like it when it's both supposed to be serious and when it is not. Speaking of, I was at a nice family pizzeria recently and thought of our friends in Little Italy. Speaking of, also,
0: I watched the trailer for House of Gucci recently. Yes. Lady Gaga's accent sounds almost like when I make fun of saying Buca di Beppo.
1: <laughs> House of the Gucci. All right, so so that's our first romance is Roscoe Chandler and Mrs. Rittenhouse. Our second romance is the one that is ostensibly like, like in a traditional musical comedy romance, these would be our main romantic characters, Arabella Rittenhouse and Johnny Parker.
2: Oh, Mr. Herbelli I want you to do something for me. i do anything for you. What do you want I should do? Do you see that painting?
0: You mean this spikes? Mm-hmm.
2: I-, I want you to take that out of the frame and put this one in its place.
0: If this was not a Marx Brothers movie, this would be the main plot. Instead, it is a Marx Brothers movie, and so
1: there is almost no plot.
0: Right. So there are... Two and a half scenes of
1: just their romance, which is more than any other pairing in the movie. Right. So Arabella is in love with Johnny, but Johnny is like a struggling painter. So her mother will never approve of Arabella and Johnny getting married.
0: So the plan is to use this as an opportunity to gain renown for Johnny so that he can be famous enough that her mother will
1: approve. But it also sounds like they'll just get married anyway. It does. And so that's where they come up with the plan to swap out Johnny's version of the painting with the original so that everyone can swoon over the painting. And then Johnny can be like, actually, that's mine! And then they'll all get commissions from him. And as Arabella says, we can be married and divorced in no time.
0: Because this is a pre-code movie where you can actually mention divorce.
1: So they do the swap and they're all excited. But then when it's revealed, it has been swapped another time. By a bad
0: one where... Arabella actually questions Johnny's ability to paint. Which is funny.
1: Which is funny because it is so bad. She forgets a whole dog. And then later on, they have a nice duet where they sing, Why am I so romantic to one another? And you're like, oh, right. These are our romantic leads. Haven't seen them in a while.
0: And then at the end, I think they have a romantic moment.
1: Briefly. Hooray for Arabella and Johnny Parker. All right. Couple number three. (laughs) All right. Couple number three and four are simultaneous. Right. I love Triangle. So, couple number three is Captain Henry Spaulding, played by Groucho Marx, and Mrs. Rittenhouse, the Margaret Dumont character. Mrs. Rittenhouse, ever since I've met you, I've swept you off my feet. Something has been
2: throbbing within me. Oh, it's been beating like the incessant tom-tom in the primitive jungle. Something that I must ask you. What is it, Captain? Would you wash out a pair of socks for me? Captain, I'm surprised. Well, it may be a surprise to you, but it's been on my mind
1: for weeks. It's just my way of telling you that I love you, that's all. And Spaulding pretty quickly is telling Rittenhouse that he loves her and is building up to proposing to her. It is clear he is only interested in her money, but she is very taken with him.
0: (laughs) I just love how blatant it is. He is not trying to hide it even to her, and
1: somehow she is still on board. And then point number four starts right now, because As he is building up to proposing, Mrs. Whitehead walks in, and Groucho is immediately distracted by her.
2: You know, you two girls have everything. You're tall and short and slim and stout and blonde and brunette. And that's just the kind of a girl I crave. We three would make an ideal couple. Why, you've got beauty, charm, money. You have got money, haven't you? Because if you haven't, we can quit right now.
0: And this is right after he sings, basically, I want to leave this party already. Because it is (laughs) bad. Hello, I must be going. Which is also the name of a Peter Gabriel album? Or is it the other one? Phil Collins? Yeah. It is an album by the singer Phil Collins. There you go. Who I often get confused
1: with Peter Gabriel. It's all Genesis. Anyway. (laughs) Mrs. Whitehead walks in and Groucho is distracted by her and then is trying to woo them both at the same time and eventually proposes a thruple. Because Mrs. Whitehead is young and pretty but less rich than Mrs. Rittenhouse. Right. So he's trying to get the benefits of both and eventually suggests bigamy.
2: Well, what do you say, girls? What do you say? Uh, are we all going to get married? All of us? All of us. But that's bigamy. Yes, and it's bigamy too. It's big of all of us. Let's be big for a change. I'm sick of these conventional marriages. One woman and one man was good enough for your grandmother, but who wants to marry your grandmother? Nobody. Not even your grandfather.
0: Which... Surprisingly, they are not into. That said, they are not a hard no. It's not a hard no, but it's a no. Um, this also never
1: comes up again. <laughs> this is also not resolved. <laughs> Point five. Um, just going through my notes between these, I just wanted to note that I liked that when Chandler tried to pay off Chico not to reveal that Chandler was AB the Fishman, he gave him a check and the check literally bounced.
0: Uh, My favorite is the birthmark.
1: (laughs) When Harpo steals his birthmark? Yeah,
0: when they're stealing everything from A.B. the Fishman, and Harpo pulls up his sleeve and has his birthmark.
1: Speaking of Harpo, our final point is the professor chasing that lady through the house. Which happens three times. And then at the end of the movie, when Harpo chloroforms everybody to try to escape, He's good to go, but then he sees the woman lying passed out, and he decides that he would rather sleep beside her, so he chloroforms himself.
0: It is nice that, of all the things with a woman passed out, he decides
1: to make himself pass out as well. Yeah, it could have gone so much worse. It could have been much worse. So Mark, after watching the romance of Animal Crackers, do you find it believable?
0: (laughs) Uh, no? (laughs) No. There's nothing there. Like, none of the plot lines are resolved. They're there only, is so little to connect to. There's so little to connect to. I guess in a way it makes sense that Spalding would want to marry Mrs. Rittenhouse for her money and Mrs. Whitehead for her looks. But also, it's never really established why they're both called Misses. if he's trying to marry them. Well, I assume Mrs. Rittenhouse
1: is a widow because she also has her daughter.
0: Right. As for Mrs.
1: Whitehead, I couldn't say. Yeah.
0: I also got kind of confused about who was related to who, because I thought for a minute that Mrs. Whitehead was Mrs. Rittenhouse's daughter. Yeah, we've talked
1: about this with black and white movies. We need very distinct hairdos in order to keep track of who everyone is. And they do not succeed that test in this movie, because I
0: think there are four
1: women that all looked the same, and I was getting confused about who is who. Yep. Now, every week we rate the believability of a romance on a ten-point scale, where zero means we believe... None of it, and ten means we believe all of it. Where would you put Animal Crackers? Well, I do believe in
0: a man attempting to marry for money. I was thinking, like, a a
1: two. Yeah, I also broadly believe the Arabella and Johnny Parker stuff. Yeah, maybe a three. I think I'm a two, because as much as I believe that... I also believe
0: that Harpo would chase those women, because he is a bad person. Right. Okay, you're talking me up to it. All right, I'll give it a three for Animal Crackers. Do you think that anyone involved, honestly, at this point, just anywhere in this movie is dateable?
1: Arabella and Johnny Parker, maybe?
0: Yeah. Everyone is so bland. It's hard to, like, realize.
1: They are either bland or bananas.
0: Right. Or to go
1: another Mark's direction, they're coconuts. Gross. (laughs) Do you think that any of them would stay together? I think that Arabella and Johnny will. No, she
0: already said they're getting divorced. Yeah, that was a joke, though. Okay, we'll see. They're rich enough in New York City in the 30s that they could move to Mexico and get divorced. That is true. No, I I got hope for those kids. And no other couple ends up together. Nor should they. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you choose?
1: Mark, everyone in this movie is nuts. Like, I guess I would date Horatio Jameson, who's the Zeppo character who is pretty good looking and doesn't give in to the Marx Brothers nonsense. Like, for example, when he's taking dictation from Groucho and writes down none of it because nothing that he said had any meaning. Maybe Hives. He's a, oh, sure. a loyal
0: man who is nice
1: yeah, Hives and is a good willing dude.
0: to get into shenanigans.
1: All right, that works. Now, Mark, um, obviously Animal Crackers is adapted from a stage musical. Do you think that that musical is the kind of thing that we should be mounting on Broadway these days.
0: (sighs) Probably not. I think it's kind of best to leave the Marx Brothers to the Marx Brothers.
1: Yeah, I just don't really see the point of having other people pretend to be the Marx Brothers pretending to be other characters. It doesn't really make sense. Well, uh, there we go. Mark, I'm so glad that you enjoyed your first foray into Marx Land.
0: It helps Bugs Bunny cartoons make more sense seeing some of the Marx Brothers in action, honestly.
1: There's a clear nothing else. Next week, we will be taking a a very different tone as we take a look at the 1970s romantic comedy drama, whatever, uh, Claudine, starring Diane Carroll and James Earl Jones.
0: This is one of our hardest shifts in a while, I would say.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it, it is still very much an enjoyable movie. And it is still also very funny. Yeah, it's on YouTube in its entirety. I'd really encourage people to check it out. Again, it's called Claudine.
0: You have to search Claudine movie because otherwise a YouTube influencer named Claudine gross is the only list of videos you get. Unless you're, like, signed in and they have learned that you like movies.
1: Well, until then, you can follow our show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. And you can also tweet at us, again, at Pod with the hashtag hotter than cold to let us know the origin of the phrase, making the Cold War hot.
0: I think it's from anything goes. I mean, it sounds cold portery. But that's, like, pre-Cold War. That's the thing. So I think it may be from the off-Broadway '60s version that had some original songs, I believe, added in. But still, the, it's set before the Cold War. So yep. that vein of musical, I'm gonna do some. <laughs> I'm gonna do some digging. Hashtag hotter than cold. Anyway, also make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Especially reviews on Apple Podcasts really helps find new listeners.
1: Mark, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from Animal Crackers?
0: Be supportive in wacky schemes, because that is what eventually brings Arabella and Johnny
1: together. I'm going to say, don't spend a lot of time trying to do a buildup. Just say what you want to say, because Roscoe Chandler's problem is that he spends so long building up to his proposal, he never gets to it, and then Captain Spaulding shows up.
0: And Captain Spaulding tried to build up to his proposal to Mrs. Rittenhouse, and then Mrs.
1: Whitehead showed up. Just say say what you want to say. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. Hello. I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. La la. But I sake, you must stay. If you should go away, you spoil this coffee. I am through I'll stay a week or two. I'll stay in the summer through, but I am telling you I must be away. Before you go, you won't like us, and never us you'll leave a rowing. I'll do anything you say. In fact, I'll even stay. Yes. But I must be away.